Hello everyone, my name's Monty, I'm with Ian and Gemma, and welcome to the Big Scuba Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Ian here from the Big Scuba Podcast, and Gemma. Hello. I thought just uh, do a very quick recording as this is now the start to episode 15. 15. My goodness, how did we get 15? Okay. <laughs> uh, so, what's coming up? He's Monty, Monty Halls. He's a really nice guy, a top family guy. He's uh, talking about Galapagos diving. Uh, fascinating to listen to some of, the, some of his stories. And also, there's some stories from some of his friends yep. that we've managed to get hold of. It makes for a really good episode, so we really hope you enjoy that. Just before we go, just say a few shout outs and hellos. Hello to our lovely patrons who every month they dip into the pocket and really help us and uh, really pay uh, a particularly essential part of making this podcast happen. Uh, we couldn't do that without you guys, and hello to you. Hello to the pheasant as well, that's just making the noise. You know, we are out in the sticks, we're out on the Waveney, we've been snorkeling, so we just thought we'd just do a, a quick hello. Uh, also, hello to Andy Clark, Andy the Northern Diver. Hello to you. Uh, if you haven't looked up Andy the Northern Diver, look him up, he's on YouTube. Andy makes lots of videos about how to, uh, how to clear your mask, how to put your regs together, Things like all, all those sort of things, all to do with scuba diving. Uh, of videos that are about like five, ten minutes. Really good videos. Yeah, they are, and they work as well. Yeah. Yeah. He also does short interviews with uh, certain uh, celebrities and uh, people in the diving world uh, over a cup of tea, and it's called Fancy a Brew. Fancy a Brew. So Fancy a Brew, and I've done one, and it was actually quite painless as well. So it was really you're a celebrity. Good. Yeah, I don't think I'm not sure about that. <laughs> But anyway, let's just say that it was good fun and I'm glad I'd done it and, uh, and I was happy to be a part of it and uh, I'm happy that we know uh, Andy. So yeah. yeah, look him up, Andy the Northern Diver. Who else have we got to say hello to? Let's say hello to Blue O2, our new friends. Uh, really proud and pleased that we've got our, our new friends who have come on board. Uh, let's say they are the, the best in the UK and uh, I've been on their on Blue Melody, one of their boats and mm-hmm. that's an absolutely brilliant trip uh, um, fantastic staff and there's a link on our website so that you can go straight to their website as look well look out for the ship on our website <laughs> unless you're on the mobile and that would be just their icon but if you're using the laptop then look out for the ship and click on that and that will take you straight through to Blue O2 and how to... Yep. How do you book your next trip? Enough of me running on. Let's uh, get to talk to Monty. Let's talk to Monty and hear what's, what he's got to say. Enjoy, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. So. No problem. My pleasure. My pleasure. And how's it all going? How's the podcast going? Well, really well. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast. You know, welcome to the Big Scoop podcast and uh, associated uh, YouTube channel called A Big Chat. So thanks, thanks for giving us your time today. Mike Halls, broadcaster, speaker, naturalist, and former Royal Marine, marine biologist, travel writer, and leadership specialist. Your great experience covers over two decades of leading teams in some of the most remote environments on earth. 
presenting wildlife and adventure documentaries and working with blue chip companies both in the UK and overseas after dinner speeches. In 2003, was awarded a medal by the Scientific Exploration Society for your services to exploration. In 2010, was awarded an honorary doctorate of science degree by the Plymouth University. And in 2016, was given an award for outstanding contribution into diving by Sport Diver magazine. So, so that's Very quite nice. a brief outline. Well, um, no, I mean, uh, it's been a kind of, it's funny when, when it's described, you often think, um, I think, God, listen to that description, I should be a millionaire. Why am I skinned? Why am I always skinned? You know, because you've had fun. Um, <laughs> yes, true, true. And um, the other thing that uh, it's funny, it's very a real patchwork thing, and it's, there's never been a coherent plan or anything. But um, I often say that when people ask me what I do for a living, I always look really shifty. I always look like a, a secret agent who's forgotten his cover story. You know, I always, I'm an R, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I think there's been this theme right the way through of always loving the sea and loving the outdoors and, um, and, and loving sort of heading off to go and have a look at it and ideally with groups of people. And so that's, I suppose, to sort of summarise it all, that's the, that's the best way to, to describe it. But as I said a moment ago, you know, it is lovely. Having spent 25, 30 years on the road, it has been, I feel slightly guilty. Yeah, so, uh, no, I was, I was saying, having been on the road for so long, it's been really lovely, actually, to have a sustained period enforced at home. And it's, you know, given me a real sense of perspective, really, about, you know, kind of what's important and what isn't and all that sort of stuff. Same as many people, I think. Do you know you've got two birthdays on Wikipedia? Oh, have I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how interesting. How, how 1976 old and 66, apparently. Oh, if yeah. only it was 76, that'd be nice. No, 66, sadly, I'm 53, which is, which is an outrage. Yeah. Well, it's how you feel, not actually. Well, that's true. That's true, yeah. Um, it's a slightly irrelevant number, but it does keep getting bigger, I notice. So, yeah. And the Sun newspaper? Uh, in 2012, describe you as Action Man Attenborough, which is ah. quite a nice thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, there's always been this thing, isn't it? You know, who's going to be the next Attenborough and uh, all, all that stuff. And um, there is a huge scrap heap of presenters who've been described as the next Attenborough and have turned out not to be the next Attenborough. And I occupy a very proud position on that scrap heap um, because... Um, you know, some, some people, are, they're replaceable, aren't they? They are. They're replaceable. And we should stop looking for the next Attenborough. We're never going to find him. No. You know, we should just make the most original, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's a, sort of the presenter's curse being described as the next Attenborough. So you're based in Devon, is that right? South Devon, yeah, Dartmouth. Yeah. You've always been around the sea. Is that why you've got this kind of passion for the ocean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, from a services family, so my dad was in the RAF. Uh, first three years of my life were in Malta, um, and then um, lived in Padstow. You know, very much a Southwest boy. Um, Bristol I was in Bristol for a while, and but um, then um, I lived in Bristol for five years. Met Tam, and um, we, you know, a few years later had Isla, and 
Um, we were like, right, where do we want our children to grow up? And uh, we were both of the same mindset. We were like, they've got to grow up by the sea. And um, so we moved down to Dartmouth, a bit of a search to try and find the right place. But I'd been based down here as a Marines officer. So I, I knew I knew Dartmouth. And um, the moment, Tam didn't really know Dartmouth. And the moment we drove down and she got out of the car, I've got a photo of her actually stepping out of the car and pointing at the pavement and saying, we're going to live here. Yeah, sometimes you just know that you need to live here. Yeah, we're never leaving. You know, it's such a lovely, lovely spot. And the, the people down here are great and really good community down here. And obviously you've got, you've got the River Dart. We've got it all going on, haven't we? Like little, sorry, our sheep have just been sheared. So um, that's the guy saying, I've just brought your sheep back. So like I said, we've got it all going on here. Um, oh, blimey. It's, you know, um, sorry. This is giving the impression I'm really popular and busy. <laughs> That, that's the most calls I've had in about three days, all arriving simultaneously. So uh, there we go. There we go. There we go. So when did you last dive? Um, What's your probably, It was probably Galapagos, actually. Um, so it was when we did... Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. But interestingly, um, so Galapagos, that, that would have been six months ago, probably. But... Um, because of where we are, you know, we've, we've got the sea on our doorstep and all that. Do a lot of wild swimming, do a lot of snorkeling, do a lot of surfing and all that. So I'm always in the sea. Um, but interestingly, diving-wise, Torbs always takes the mickey out of me for this. Because um, <clears throat> when I got that thing in 2016 from Sport Divers saying, oh, contribution to diving, which was lovely and a complete surprise, he said in the bar afterwards, when was the last time you actually went diving? And I was like, <laughs> oh, fine. Like a year ago, you know, but um, I, I, I sort of went a bit down the technical route for a while and did the rebreather thing and all that, and then moved. I've gone completely the other way now, and it's like I said, wild swimming, snorkeling. I've gone gone down that route now. Just maybe it's yeah. the kids, you know, it's a lovely thing to do with kids and all that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the last time I was in the sea was yesterday, so yeah. I'll be in again tomorrow. We'll be back down the beach tomorrow. I think so. you, you get a bit more of a warmer uh, current down there, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. This time of year is, as you know, sort of February, March, April, May is quite chilly, actually, because it takes right. a while for the sea to warm up. So, uh, I mean, it's probably 12, 12 degrees. So it's not, mm. it's not toast. Tropical. But, yeah, it's not bad. And then, you know, later in the summer, July, August, September, it gets up to sort of 17, 18. But there's always something going on down here. When we, um, I did a wild swim off the uh, Blackpool Sands, this beach we have locally, um, and there were bass coming in, hitting sand eel. There was, you know, it was all going on. Um, really crystal clear water. It was, it was wonderful. So, but Isla is really pushing me hard. She's eight and she's desperate to go diving. So that'll be the next thing. Obviously, I can't do anything with her till she's 10, but um, that'll be the next thing. You know, cool. yeah, that's good. Yes, yeah, to get them interested at such an early age as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think you know, again, that's one of the reasons we wanted to be down here. I think we knew that they would have a strong relationship with the sea right from being tiny, and uh, it's it, it was it's a good decision. It, there was a, there's a price to pay, and that you're a long way from 
you know, if you've got a meeting in London or Bristol or whatever, you're always on the road. But um, you know, right from a, a, a tiny age, they they were in they were in the sea, and it's like a default setting is you go to the beach. You're like, what are we going to do? Oh, let's go to the beach. You know, and that's a great thing. That's a great. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. I live on the beach, so I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. If you go inland, it feels odd. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And I think for us as a family, we're, we're you know, me and Tam, we're, we're like, right, that's it. We're, you know, we're never leaving. We're never leaving this place, you know. So um, that's quite a nice feeling, I think, to find somebody you're like, yeah, we're done. Yeah. So in terms of diving, what kind of level have you got up to? Well, when did you start diving as well? Well, I mean, I started diving in 1984, so a very long time ago. Um, I, I've done, I've sort of worked as an instructor and all that, you know, did, did that little phase for a while and, um, uh, and then, like I said, dabbled in the technical side. But a technical, I, I um, basically got into the rebreather stuff because we were making a series called Dive Mysteries. Yeah. And... Um, we, I had to be technic, technically qualified to do it. So Rich Stevenson and uh, Torbs and Dan Stevenson, Kevger, all that lot, um, who, a dream team to instruct you, a dream team. They did a, a real fast track training session with me, a training setup with it, all legally, you know, you had to get all the relevant uh, sort of dives and hit the relevant points and all that. But we did it almost back to back all the training. And that got me down to 60 meters as a, as a rebreather diver. But um, I've never been a deep diver. I've never been, it's never really turned me on all that stuff, yeah, you know. Right. Maybe because of the marine biology side or whatever, you know, I've always just been really happy. Bit of a bubble blower, bimbling about 10 meters, taking pictures. That's bliss. So, and again, Torps is always giving me a hard time about that. Cappuccino <laughs> adventurer, he calls me. A cappuccino adventurer, which... Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, and I, you know, I don't think uh, I've got no problem with te with technical divers or technical diving or anything like that. But I think personally, um, like I said, I've gone completely the other way now, and and now yeah. it's all it's all up swimming and snorkeling and the odd dive to ten meters, twenty meters, maybe. I think you become a lot less selfish. It's not yeah. about you anymore. It's not about your pleasure, and it's actually you know making sure you're around for your little ones and you know I, I lost a few mates who are on rebreathers and all that and so that's always uh you know rebreathers are safe now and if you dive them responsibly and you know with a buddy and blah 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 but every now and then you still get an instant on a rebreather we get a very 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 good diver who who disappears or dies on one and so that's that's slightly in my mind as well about Rebreathers, but the, you know, this, the technology's so good now. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, they've come on so much. But I think I've sort of left them behind a little bit, or they've left me behind, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And there's other there's other stuff I enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah well, there's so many paths you can go down with the diving. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think Isla and Molly, when they dive, you know, properly in like 10, 15 years time every chance they'll be on rebreathers every chance everyone will be on re you know the technology like the consumer level rebreathers with fail safes built in at every single level it's just such a superb way to to dive you know poseidon seem to have really nailed it with the discovery and you know lots of other brands like that are really 
I think in 10, 20 years, that will be the way everyone dives. And they'll look back at us blowing all our bubbles and just think we're, you know, dinosaurs. You know, we spoke to Jill Hyneth and we spoke to John Chatter, who like really, you know, used them right in the early day. Yeah. And, you know, especially John Chatterton, what he was doing. It was more and, hit and miss, wasn't it? But they worked. Yeah, it's so hit and miss. And he knew yeah, it. Yeah, well, I remember working with Kev. Kev Gurr, who, again, was right at the start of it all. And Kev said when they did their first rebreather course, yeah, he said when he looked around the table at his first course, there were like 12 of them around the table, and he said 50% of them are dead now. You know, it's died in diving incidents with these rebreathers, you know, with the early stage rebreathers which were made out of a Hoover bag and some masking tape and a bit of jam and yeah, yeah, a lot of luck. So, so what is your, what is your favourite, you know, what is your favourite thing to do? You know, do you, do you, do you prefer just going down to see the wildlife? Do you like wrecks or um, is it? Oh, definitely wildlife, definitely wildlife yeah. and definitely um, with these little ones now, you know, it just, it just gives you a whole new kind of perspective. Hey, girl, I'm doing a very serious interview. Yeah, it is. It is. Are we oh, not this is Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. When we filmed My Family in the Galapagos, Moles basically went on strike for the last two weeks. She was like, I'm done with microphones. With I am done. And that's one of the reasons she doesn't really appear in the last bits of the series. Because every time we put a camera at her, she was just, she was just like that. Just get that thing out of my face. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, she's, she's done with the media. To yeah. see them gradually discover the marine world and all that. And my big thing's underwater photography. I really enjoy it. I'm not particularly good at it, but um, it's great fun. You know, I like the technical aspects of it. And um, so, yeah, you know, that's something I hope I can share with them yeah. soon. But, um, so Isla now, you know, is um, Isla's um, the eight-year-old. She loves snorkeling and loves. So tomorrow when we go down the beach, you know, I'll get her in the wetsuit and get the mask on. She'll be straight in and we'll have a little snorkel together. And um, yeah, and that's magic. No, it's just magic. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get any better than that. In the UK, have you got any favourite spots you like to dive? Or is it where your home is based? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do love Devon and Cornwall for diving. And um, west coast of Scotland t takes a bit of beating. It takes a bit of beating, you know. Um, I've had sort of phenomenal experiences um, uh, off the west coast of Ireland as well. Um, Skelligs, incredible sights. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think if I had to pick one, I'd, generically, I'd say Devon and Cornwall, south coast of Devon and Cornwall. Yeah. It, it's all going on down here. And, you know, the, I used to really enjoy diving Plymouth. I went to Plymouth Uni. And um, just stepping off like Devil's Point, you're stepping into 30 metres of water down a, a drop-off. Like, it's a really decent drop-off. That's full of massive crabs and lobsters and conger and all that. And, um, so and there's another dive called Eastern Kings, which again was a beautiful drift dive over a series of serried ranks oh. of reefs. So, um, yeah, you know, I, th I think, and again, I don't want to be massively sort of biased because I'm based down here, but I think Devon and Cornwall do to take a bit of beating and west coast of Scotland out of Hebrides. Yeah, just just stunning. Yeah. We are lucky in the UK. We've got some lovely landscapes. Yeah. You've got to make the most of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean it's it's been a funny old 2020, isn't it, for everyone. But the one thing we can say, the one blessing is that 
we've hit this extraordinary patch of weather since yeah. lockdown began. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of the environments, the marine environments, they've had a chance to have a breather, a bit of a, you know, recovery. So I think when we do start jumping in again, it's going to be, going to be fantastic. You know, it's yeah. going to be, going to be really something. Yeah, certainly something to look forward to. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Being an explorer, did you have like a moment where you thought, I want to be an explorer? Or was it something that just kind of fell into? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I don't think nowadays I'm not an explorer. I wouldn't describe myself as an explorer, but there's a possibility that I was once. You know, <laughs> it all depends how you define an explorer. And I've, I've got a good little story about that, actually. We dived the blue hole in Dar Hub as part of the Dive Mysteries series. Yeah. And what we wanted to do was part of the team went all the way to the bottom and, you know, explored all the debris on the bottom because I was only qualified to 60 meters. I wanted to do the arch. So yeah. we find out about exactly what was killing people in the blue hole. You know, what were the exact physics? You know, what was the, the um, architecture of the arch? What were the currents? What were everything? And it was, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. But... We had Kev, who was running the comms. Kev Go, who's a dive supervisor on the top. Safety divers. We had a drop line with extra cylinders on. Just amazing. Every mm. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, we're proper explorers. And as I was about to jump in with all my stage cylinders, my rebreather and my voice on my comms and, my, you know, and Kev chatting to us on the, on the net and all that, I glanced across and there was a guy just about to go snorkeling. And it was very obvious it was his first ever snorkel because he didn't want to get in. He was really nervous. He was quite a big old unit, you know, and, and his, his wife was trying to persuade him to get in. And he was like, no, I'm a bit scared. I'm a bit scared. And, um, and in the end, he got in and you could see he was a bit panicky and then he relaxed a bit. And I remember thinking, who's the explorer here? Is, is it me or is it him? Good point. Because yeah. he's doing something for the very first time He's going into a totally unknown world. He's pushing the limits, the borders, the boundaries of what he feels he's capable of. He's frightened, and yet he's doing it anyway. And so I think the explorer thing's a funny old thing, but um, but you know, certainly historically back in the day, there were a fair few projects that were quite quite edgy. We were in quite remote places and didn't have a lot of support and infrastructure and. You know, some of the diving was pretty dodgy that we were doing and uh, all that. So, yeah, maybe for a brief period I was an explorer, but don't think I am. I mean, you know, I'm not anymore. So out of your um, TV shows, which you reckon is, was the toughest to do for on a diving point of view? Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, you know, dive mysteries. Uh, well, interestingly, from a psychological point of view, um, when I did that blue hole, there's quite a nice segue actually to that story. When I did that blue hole dive, it was it went seamlessly. We were on Trimix, and it went absolutely seamlessly. All the stops were perfect. The profile was perfect. We all felt great. There was no. But when I came up, I was deaf in my right ear, and right. I'm still deaf in my right ear. Yeah, right. Um, I love. 40% of my hearing in my right ear and had tinnitus. Yeah, which, which I'd never, never had before, I'd never experienced. So it's the old noise in your ear. And um, of course, we were only halfway through the series then. So we had to carry on. Now, I didn't, I just initially thought I had water in my ear. You know, you get that sort of full thing with the noise. 
and it became pretty obvious there was an issue. There was, you know, and it's never gone away. It's never, you know, my hearing hasn't come back and it's still, as I speak to you now, I can hear a little bit of tinnitus. And so that was quite a big psychological thing because we went on to uh, whichever the lake was, Lake Superior, and we dived there. They couldn't wreck of the Cornelia B. Windy 8, and that's down at yeah. 60 meters. That's cold. That's like four degrees Celsius. And the old tinnitus was, you know, again, that was an issue. And then we went out to Japan and got thrown around in the swell and all that. As a series, it was hugely enjoyable to make because of the, the group of people I was with. Um, who were like my heroes. I was diving with my heroes. But it was very challenging to jump in the water to think, well, what happens if the other ear goes? Yeah. You know, because I was doing technical stuff I'd never done, done before. And I didn't know whether it was a reaction to the mixed gas, whether it was just the fact I was, you know, going a little bit deeper and putting myself under a bit more pressure or whatever it was. And so that was hard because it happened almost right at the beginning. And... Um, yeah, so psychologically that was hard, but yeah. in terms of the tough diving conditions, uh, we did an expedition to a place called Mahamalaipuram uh, in like 2001, 2002, and that was insane. Because we were diving offshore um, in a, a, uh, Indian fishing boats, fishing trawlers, because there weren't any. There was no dive infrastructure along that section of the coast at all. We were trying to find an underwater city, basically. Um, but you're going in, very limited visibility, howling currents. Uh, no one on the fishing boat spoke any English at all. You were like 10 miles offshore. Um, they, I'd said to them at the start, right, we've got to have oxygen on board. We've got to have oxygen. Yeah. And um, they found it from somewhere uh, right. before we arrived. It was a, I think it was like a month-long project out there. And it was only when we got to the end of the project and we put someone on the oxygen because someone had a fairly rapid ascent. And um, we thought, oh, I'd just be, that we found out it was um, welding oxygen, industrial oxygen, oxyacetylene, basically, <laughs> um, which makes you go blind. So this person started like Handy. tripping out. I mean, that was wild, that trip. It was just wild. So let's talk about Galapagos. Let's talk about your latest series. You know, what, what made you choose the Galapagos and, you know, what was that, what was that all about? Why, why, why go there? Um, well, I'm president of the Galapagos Conservation Trust. So I've always had a relationship with the Galapagos. It goes back 20 years or so. And um, I thought it was really important to tell the story of the communities out there, not just the animals. Because every documentary you ever see about Galapagos, it's got an iguana, blue-footed booby, a sea lion, a whale shark. It's all beautiful. That's 30,000 people live out there. And uh, I thought it was really important to talk about that, you know, thing between the, the people and the animals. I'd, I'd, I'd seen that dynamic uh, a lot, like local people having to live, you know, in close proximity to these animals and that relationship and all that stuff, and how important that relationship was. So it just seemed to really, and it was actually, I hasten to add, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't right. my idea. Um, there's a guy called Martin Pelthorpe who made all the Great Escapes series um, okay. up on the way of Scotland. And we were chatting about that exact thing. We were chatting about, oh, Galapagos was really interesting. And I was natural to him about the relationship between the people and the animals. And he went, oh, you should go out there and do a series out there. You know, and so that sort of planted the seed, really. So it wasn't even my idea. It was Martin Pelthorpe's. So. But then how do, you, how do you say to town, right, got this idea, Gonna go to Galapagos, yeah. and we're all gonna go. Strangely enough, 
I was probably more nervous about it than she was. And, and the reason is I, I sort of, I know the islands that there's 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador. You know, there's limited infrastructure there. If you have an issue, if you have like a medical issue, the best thing to do is get off the islands, basically. And we were going out there when we did the first series with a three-year-old and a five-year-old to live there for three months. And I was kind of like, I was a bit, am I prepared to put our kids in that situation? Whereas Tam was like, oh, let's get out there, it'll be fine, you know. And then the thing we sort of reconciled ourselves with about it is 30,000 people live out there. They raise their children out there. They're, there's schools, there's little, there's mini markets. There's, you know, so it's, and actually it's a very, very, very safe place for children. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was just aware it was remote. And if we had a, an issue, we're so lucky in this country. We don't realize, you know, that um, as we both said it, me and Tam, when we came back from both the series, that we live in paradise. The UK is paradise and we don't realize it. You know, the level of support and infrastructure and stability we have, and which obviously has been tested to the max over the last, you know, three months or so. But, you know, we're really lucky to have what we have. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Are you still involved with the Galapagos Conservation Trust? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a, a webinar for them recently and we raised a, you know, a reasonable sum. And like all conservation groups and charities, they're going through a horrendous time at the moment. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, uh, interestingly, obviously the charities are really suffering at the moment, but yes. um, uh, so are the people of the Galapagos. You know, they rely on tourism to such a huge degree and as we all know you know we've all experienced it in various shapes and forms their income has been cut off like that and again it's a good thing in terms of the environment it means that the environment's got a bit of a chance to recover and but we shouldn't underestimate the significance of losing that tourist infrastructure because if people can't make money from tourism they will seek ways to make money within the islands using other means and you know illegal fishing out there is already a, a significant issue and all that so yeah you know interesting it's not as simple as oh it's great we're not visiting these places anymore so the environment can recover so many people rely on tourism to all the dive guides we all work with they all rely on tourism to make a living mm. and uh, if the tourists stop turning up and the divers stop turning up they'll become fishermen you know and, and they'll look to you know try and generate income in other ways because you do you got to feed your family you know yes you have to so yeah galapagos in particular is having a hard time at the moment yeah have you noticed a difference between sort of going there quite early in the sort of 2000 and something to obviously going back now has there been quite a radical difference huge difference when i first went in i think i first went in 2001 puerto Ayura, the main town was 2000 people now it's 18000 people you know, uh, when I first visited, there were, I think, about 20,000 tourists a year, maybe, maybe more, maybe more. But now there's 300,000 tourists a year. So it's just a huge influx of people coming in. But I would never say to anyone, don't visit the Galapagos. Mm. But I'd say, do your best to travel responsibly. You know, try and find an operator who you know is working with conservation groups, you know works in a sustainable way, and loads of them do. Mm. Uh, but whenever you get a place that has a kind of gold rush mentality that um, you get opportunists coming in 
who may not operate with the health of the ecosystem of the islands to the forefront of their minds. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people do. The guide I work with called Pablo Valadres, who today is leaving Guayaquil, the main, uh, one of the main towns in Ecuador, having been in a one-bedroom flat for 63 days. He was just passing through on the way back to the islands and lockdown happened. And wow. he's been there with his wife and his son for 63 days. You know, uh, Pablo is one of the best, if not the best guide I've ever worked with in terms of his knowledge, his passion, um, you know, his ability to communicate and all that. So, you know, they're really important people, uh, these. And um, so there are ways you can travel to the islands in a sustainable way, in an environmentally friendly way, but just find the right operators. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Have you got a sort of outstanding, memorable moment from your trips to the Galapagos? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't want to sound um, like a stuck record. I, I, I got really lucky, an amazing encounter with a whale shark in Wolf and Darwin. You know, I've had an incredible encounter at Gordon Rocks, which is a little dive off um, Santa Cruz, uh, where I saw a, a, a shoal of cow-nosed rays. Maybe it must have been oh, I, unimaginable numbers of them. And they went right over the top of us all around us. That was years and years. That was 20 years ago. Um, but the number one thing is I took Isla in, she was five, for her first snorkel. And as we stepped in off the beach, a big old green turtle came up and had a look at us. And oh, we wow. swam around with that green turtle. That, that was snorkel number one for Isla. And it all caught on camera. And yeah, so that was, that's probably the, the best memory from the islands for me, really. That's quite apt because it's turtle day today, isn't it? Yes. Oh, is it? I know. You see, I should know that. How embarrassing. Yes. yes of course it is. Yeah. We've been talking to Reef World and, um, and the, the Green Fins Initiative. So how, can, how do you think some of these tourist agencies can improve things? You know, so um, can they incorporate in their itineraries as a dive boat, like a day or a morning beach, uh, picking up, plastic waste off beaches and things like that. Do you think something like that would, would help? What, what, what I would say is, um, and again, this is from experience of, of guiding tours and leading uh, groups of tourists to various places, that um, people are very, very receptive to that now. And yeah. uh, the, one of the most vivid memories for me is uh, we went to Svalbard. I was guest lecturer on a trip around Svalbard. Well, what a place oh. that is, blimey. And um, the, the people on board that vessel were paying a lot of money to be on that trip. You know, it was a, it was a proper swept up top end trip. And um, there was a whole day dedicated to picking up litter on one of the beaches. And there were 150 people on the, on the vessel. And every single one of them went ashore that day and did the massive beach clean. And these were people who were, you know, uh, a, a fairly mature group mm. and uh, a lot of them very successful it was bucket list a bucket list trip and a lot of the excursions that we did fair, fair few people didn't come because it was cold and you know you'd do three excursions a day most people did a couple of them then got a bit cold and were like do I want to see another puffin no I'm all right I'm going to stay here and eat muffins and have cappuccinos um, me included by the way um, but uh, on that day Every single person got off the vessel 
and cleaned the beach. And there was a better feeling on that vessel at the end of that day than any other day that, that we did the thing. There's a huge appetite for it now. So I think that, but um, it's not enough to, to just do a beach clean. You know, in Galapagos, they've got this great thing of um, a database of tourist photos. So if you see a dolphin or if you see a, you know, a sea lion, they've got a quick response team that if you see an animal in distress, you immediately text the photo to the quick response team and they will come out. You know, what, what tourists are, and divers in particular, I think, are um, they're your team in the field. They're always in the field. And everyone's got a camera now. Everyone's yeah. got the ability to, you know, transmit stuff. So, and Galapagos have really jumped on that. They've been really proactive with that. There's a shark app, basically, that um, when you do a dive and you see a shark, which is almost every single dive in Galapagos, you surface and say, okay, what were they? They were Galapagos sharks, silky sharks, hammerhead sharks. How many did we see? Oh, about 50. Where are we? We're in blah, blah, blah. And then you put it all in, it all goes into a central database. So the yeah. tourists are gathering data for the scientific yeah. and conservation community in Galapagos. What a brilliant, brilliant concept. So, yeah, you know, I, but I think people need more than the beach clean. I think yeah. they want to get involved. They want to do a bit of sampling, a bit of, you know, recording, a bit of whatever. Yeah. I think it's good. I think because, uh, you know, as a liverboard, if, if we take some of the liverboards who are going around that area, you know, they want to, especially after this, let's call it a reset, where everybody's now looking at ways that they can move forward, but be uh, environmentally aware, reduce the foot, uh, carbon footprint, all that sort of stuff. But, and that's great. But, you know, we also got to look at, you know, how do we handle the waste? How do we encourage more people to come? And also, don't leave 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 the areas better than where we than how we found them. Yeah, well, that's actually what I I asked a lot about going to the Galapagos because people are aware that one of the big issues is the sheer volume of people visiting, yeah. and because it brings in invasive species, it creates tourist infrastructure, all that sort of thing. Um, but I my response is always if you can leave, if if you can arrive. And then when you leave, you've left the island a little bit better than when you have arrived. Yeah. Whether that's made a contribution to a local conservation group or you've physically gone and done something and you've made a positive contribution, yeah. then well, wouldn't it be great if everyone did that? But sometimes it takes a bit of imagination and a bit of you know, research yeah. to figure out how you can do that. What's the best way to yeah. do it? And now is a great opportunity. We, we are at a point where companies, big companies who, who are looking at to move on, are now thinking, right, how do we now proceed? How do we get customers to come on board, uh, literally come on board, and how do we get them to spend money? But also, you know, as you say, leave, leave the areas in a better position. And, you know, one of our friends, uh, Christina Sonata, one of the things that she's suggested um, is that we even maybe say, like, you know, you leave an area for the goodness of the wildlife. You set that area aside and you say, right, maybe no one goes there. Examples are almost well, a so, Jurassic Park type scenario. Yeah, there's, there's some very interesting arguments around that, though. Um, in that uh, there is a, a school of thought that says to protect the last truly pristine, delicate environments around the world, the best way to protect them is to send tourists there. Yeah. Because... Um, the big problem Galapagos has is they can't patrol all of the uh, 300,000 square kilometers, the 
the marine reserve there. They just haven't got the assets to patrol it. You know, they take a navy to patrol that. So a lot of poaching goes on. A lot of sharks are taken away, a lot of illegal fishing, except where there's liverboards around, except where there's dive vessels, except where there's yeah. davis. There's no poaching there. You don't get any poaching in those areas. So there is a discussion to say responsible tourism that's controlled, and that's a whole other discussion about Galapagos. You know, that's, is it controlled? There's probably too many people going, but um, that's the way to protect somewhere because the snag is if you set somewhere aside and say, right, no people are going to go there, that area has to be patrolled. It has to be protected. You have to have people checking it. And if you haven't got the assets to do that, and a lot of countries haven't, people just move in. You know, the fishermen, yeah. hunters, poachers will just move into that area and start taking you know so it's very complicated it's very complicated for sure but um, i think sustainable ecotourism done responsibly that introduces funds into the environment so they can be looked after properly is is a good future actually a yeah. good so which yeah. will be good for our for that'll be good for you know for our tour for the tourism it'll be good for the liverboards to carry on yeah. you know and just to really help that and go hand in hand together so yeah yeah that's yeah. brilliant and it is exposure of that environment as well to people that you know maybe don't see it so all this yes, um, programs it's, it's great yeah well you know i often say that everyone who visits the galapagos when they leave galapagos has a new ambassador you know there's very very few people leave the galapagos thinking oh that's rubbish you know everyone's like my god what a place we've got to protect it and yeah so yeah that's a real achievement yeah yeah so galapagos aside have you got anywhere on your bucket list that you want to go to uh yes we have um we are going around the uk awesome um yeah it's just um you know i think again we all know the way everyone's going to be taking holidays for probably the next year couple of years we're all skin now um you know, we air travel is going to be expensive, um, and you know it's it's very tough on that industry. My God, you know the jobs are going, and it's it's been brutal. But I think a lot of us are going to take to the road in the UK, and yeah. um, I've got obviously a bit of a a backstory here, having done the stuff on the west coast of Scotland and all that. And it's so beautiful. It's so we're so lucky to have what we have here. So uh, we're working with a camper van company and the halls are going to take to the road to try and hit the big natural events around the UK. So the red deer, the stag rut in the highlands, um, basking sharks in the west coast of Scotland, you know, grey seals in the farms, puffins in Northumberland, you know. Is this um, going to be a race between you and the Torbits then? Because he's got a... Andy's got a motorhome as well, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, blimey, I'd love to do it in convoy with him. But <laughs> um, I, I just think, you know, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, I think we're all going to be doing it. A lot of people are going to be doing it. And uh, be lovely. We're working with the Daily Telegraph, so we're going to do um, articles from everywhere we go. Mm. And potentially, might be doing a TV show as well as, as we go around. Potentially, that's all in the offing but um also just a lovely thing to do with your family you know a great thing to do with your family and that's not um again uh you know hotels and pubs and things like that my god they've been hit hard by all this and 
Um, we all know camping with our families is delightful, but you can't be at a nice hotel. <laughs> so we would hopefully mix that up a little bit as well. But yeah, you know, I think um, it'd just be a really lovely, interesting thing to do. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let us know yeah. if you come to Norfolk or Suffolk. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, Norfolk Broads and all that would be lovely to... That, down that neck of the woods, you've got it all going on, isn't this? Yeah, the North yeah. Norfolk coast is, yeah, one of the most amazing places. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember in, uh, it might have been Norfolk, the, where you have the, uh, those amazing shingle beaches with the, the, the sea holly. Those, because um, I remember that from the Marines days, that we used to, there were ranges down there and we used to go yeah. down there. And I always used to think, oh, what a lovely place, a lovely wild place this is. Yeah, yeah it's not on the list. On the list. Yeah. Um, you do public speaking as well. So, did you just kind of fall into that? Not anymore. Yeah, I mean that was um, that was a weirdly it was it was the bulk of my income actually. Mm. You know, would be uh, doing book tours and doing um, after dinner stuff and working with uh, companies and organisations and teams in terms of team building and uh, all that sort of good stuff and leadership and um but um yeah you know until we're allowed to gather in groups again that's kind of slightly gone out the window but um that's the amazing thing about technology now isn't it that you yeah. can still reach so we've sort of we've moved the whole operation online and we're just investigating new ways to 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 reach out to to groups and things but i was just chatting actually with my neighbor over the wall about this very thing, about 10 minutes before I started talking to you. And he said, it's funny with this lockdown thing, because he's the same, and I said, we're all in the same boat. You know, mm -hmm. the income has dropped off a cliff, and he's, he's like, he said, the weird thing is that he's hardly spending any money, because yeah. of course, yeah, he's stuck at home. Uh, so he said he's not spending any money traveling, and he's doing all his own DIY around the house. He's kind of, he said, it's a weird thing. He said, the income's gone like that. But so the outgoings have gone like that as well. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm in a very similar position that, um, you know, it was uh, the speaking and everything generated really decent income. But yeah. God knows where it all went. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that this sort of online stuff is, again, it's, it's, it's easier. You can access a, a bigger audience. Um, and so you don't get a sort of similar return financially from it. But then again, you can do it from, we've got a little studio in Top Nest that we filmed from. And uh, it's really lovely. It's really simple and really, yeah. I it's been really interesting, I think, for everyone. Yeah. We've all had a good look at the way we're living our lives, I think. And yeah. I was on the road in ordinate amounts of time. And I, I think now that, look, moving forward, that, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, it's just an opportunity that's come along that we've had no control over, but it has made us rethink what yeah. we're doing yeah. now and for the yeah. future as well, definitely. Well, well because of TV, I, you know, I used to spend a lot of time pitching projects, and that's a brutal process. Brutal. I bet. And, uh, you know, of every hundred projects you pitch, if one gets picked up, you're lucky. And a pitch is a, a quite an intense process. You know, it's a... Uh, a presentation you have to have done your research you have to you know arrange the meeting and the last pitching meeting I went to before lockdown was in London 
And so me and another uh, person from Seedor Productions, my company, we went up to London from Totnes, got up at like five in the morning, went up to London uh, on the train. So it cost us 200 quid, 300 quid to go up. Uh, the person we were having the meeting with, uh, we had an hour with them, was 20 minutes late and then uh, came in. Uh, it was a commissioner for a channel, you know, plainly not that engaged with our idea, but, oh, well, you know, we should chat to them. Five minutes into the meeting, the phone went, and uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to tell you, this is a legal thing. So he stepped out and uh, came back with, like, 15 minutes of the meeting left, and then, um, uh, and that was that. So we had him for, like, 20 minutes for two of us coming up from South Devon to London. And, um, and then we hopped on the train and came back down. So that 15, 20 minutes cost us 300 quid, you know, whatever. And looking back on that now, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I, what madness was that? What sort of a strange You have to jump through the hoops though, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think that's all changed. I, I really do. And I think that's good for the environment. It's good mm. for all of us. It's good for our mental health. It's good yeah. for all of that sort of stuff. So yeah. yeah, you know, I don't think it's been a bad thing at all. But you know, that's the strange Machiavellian world of telly, I hasten to add, which isn't a very <laughs> place. But um, yeah. yeah, I think so. for so many of us, it now applies to the way we do our business as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Should we um, give you some of the feedback we've had from your friends? <laughs> yes, I'm intrigued. It's all lies. Yeah. Before, all lies. before we do it, it is all meant in love. You've got to remember, it's all, it's all, it's all in good spirit. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Oh, blimey. No, I don't mind at all. I don't mind at all. Well, the first one I have is from Jim Standing. At oh, lovely Jim. Lovely Jim. <laughs> yeah, I know Jim's going to stay. I know what he's going to say. <laughs> so he, he said he definitely had a, a couple of things uh, to say. Um, so the first one is about heading out on a yacht and um, being converted for diving um, out of Falmouth Bay. Um, he'd never dived with you before and he was extremely nervous. Um, thus, he chucked himself off the side of the boat without doing all the proper checks and therefore without my dry suit hose or BCD inflator connected. So he sank like a stone to a depth, fortunately, of only 16 metres. But at this depth, I was shrink wrapped so tight I could not move mm. my arms in my neoprene dry suit. Um, I had no option to fin but to fin back up in excruciating pain until I had the mobility to connect my dry suit feed hose, at which point I drifted somewhat gracelessly to the surface. Grinning sheepishly, I surfaced to see the furrowed brown Monty, that man off the telly, looking at me with every air of, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> and maybe some concern, <laughs> at which point he leapt gracefully over the side of the ship, plunged the five feet or so to the service with the impression of this is how the marines do it or that could have been me just me projecting to surface with oh bugger did someone pass me my other thing <laughs> ah there we go there we go no jim is you know I, I remember that i remember that uh dive and uh, what jim has done you know with fourth element jim and strikey amazing and i always tell this story I remember 15 years ago, 17 years ago, me and Jim walking around the dive shows together. He had a few t-shirts that he was trying to get manufacturers interested in and dive brands, no one was interested. I was trying to get people to come on my expeditions with me, no one was interested. And um, 
and it's been really interesting. We both like followed each other's journeys, you know, yeah. through the thing. And what they've done with the Fourth Element, just brilliant, you know. And he's he's never taken his eye off the fact that they want to be an environmentally friendly, sustainable brand that is yeah. good, you know, good for the wider world. Yeah. And obviously, really successful now, and really, but they've never taken their eye off that. They've been absolutely brilliant, uh, Jim and Striker. You know, it's been an amazing story that these these two lads that just had this idea. You know, yeah. but brilliant to watch it all. They're, all they're getting rid of all their plastic waste for this uh, yeah. packaging and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got um, what's the thing called uh, like Project Twenty Twenty or Ocean Twenty? Yeah, uh, thing yeah. where they like twenty. Um, yeah, that they're going to be completely plastic free and yeah. all that. It's um, they're a brilliant brand, and and that rare thing, they're a dive brand that looks really good. They do yeah. really nice stuff. So, and Jim always, to this day, Jim turns up at the dive show now. His stand is the size of my house and is always beautifully prepared and always incredibly well organized, administered. And I always turn up towing a little trolley with some books in and a couple <laughs> of like, things that I stick up with like blue tag. And Jim's always like, mate, you've got to up your game. You've got to up your game, you know. I still look the same as I did 15 years ago, but um, no, 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 no. It's it's really nice to see good people do well yeah. and, and done so well. Yeah, yeah, and such nice people as well. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do Andy Torbett in? Oh yeah. Uh, Torbett, yeah. Where to begin with Torbs? Right. Okay. Well, well, it's very short and sweet, but there's there's yeah. two two bits. Okay. He said, "Ask Monty about young Goonie." Oh, Yonaguni. Yonaguni. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, why are you deaf about hitting a wreck with your rib off Applecross? Oh, God, that was close. I've read it as he wrote it. You're right. Well, the two, Yonaguni Monument, we did that as part of the um, Dive Mysteries series. And it's supposed to be an undersea temple. It's supposed to be. So we flew all the way to Japan, this tiny little island called Yonaguni, with our crack team of divers. That was me. Torbs, uh, Rich Stevenson, you know, Dan Stevenson filming and all that. And we jumped in to this undersea temple and dive number one, we all came up and we were like, it's just a reef. Every single one of us went, it's obviously just a reef. But we had an entire week of filming still to go where we had to kind of slowly convince ourselves that it wasn't a reef, as it were. But we were like, right, right, for a week, we might as well. But Yonaguni was mad. The whole week was mad. Uh, it's a really eccentric little island. Uh, it's the southwestern tip of, of Japan, the Japanese archipelago. It's got its own breed of horse. Um, it's the home to the largest moth in the world. Everyone on the island is crazy. It was a really mad week, uh, that one. Yeah, and the rib thing, when we did uh, the first Great Escapes, I bought a rib, and um, I'd never really driven a rib before. And um, I'd driven a few boats in the Marines, but nothing, you know. Yeah. And uh, so we bought it, and we thought, well, we'll take it out. And Torps was up there. Well, we'd take it out and drive it around the bay, and, you know, I had my ROA level two sort of thing, but uh, from years before. And um, so we drove the rib very fast. Of course we did, you know, because we were young and stupid. Yeah, and it was literally um, crystal clear water. And uh, we were thundering along. And I looked ahead of us. We went over the top of a wreck. There must have been that much clearance between the skeg of the outboard <laughs> wreck. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and my God, if we'd hit that wreck, we would have killed ourselves, you know. Yeah. So, yes, I remember that as well. Interestingly, we've got a picture of us. Someone was sitting in the front with a motor drive picture of our faces like, <laughs> like that just before we almost hit the wreck. So, uh, there we go. There we go. That was a lucky yes. one. <laughs> it was a lucky one, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've also uh, we've interviewed Jill Hyneth uh, quite recently as well, um, and yeah. I emailed her. Yeah. <laughs> and she said she's got a random question. So it's a, she said America has an iconic game host called Monty Hall from a show called The Price Is Right. He was extremely well recognised. Does uh-huh. Monty Halls have any funny stories about misidentifying with like people thinking you're all a the time? Really? <laughs> all the time. Uh, any time I ever pitch anything in America, any time I have to interview anyone in America, we're making a program in America, or he was actually Canadian, this guy, Monty Hall. Um, every time, they're like, what, like the guy, are you the guy who does the Monty Hall's problem? Uh, you know, the, uh, the game show thing. So yeah, Jill's absolutely right about that. <laughs> every time, dogs me in America. Um, the, you know, I can't, have a conversation when we're making a show without that coming up. So, uh, yeah. So we ask our guests five questions, the same questions to all our guests. Just say, so the first one is, what's your favorite marine animal and why? Uh, The cuttlefish, because uh, they're weird, otherworldly, alien creatures. I did my dissertation at at university, my honors project on cuttlefish. Trust me, however weird you think they are, they are a hundred times weirder. They're amazing, amazing animals. So cuttlefish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great, okay. Um, it, name up to three people. They can be past, present, they can be celebrities, family, people of history, who that you would choose to dive or snorkel with and why. They don't, they don't have to be a diver, but just three people that you would want to spend a bit of time diving or snorkeling. Okay, um, Eugenie Clark. Um, a real pioneer of shark science and uh, I wrote to her when I was a kid and she wrote back and uh, I wrote to her saying I, I want to study sharks and she wrote a handwritten thing back saying so Eugenie Clark, um, Gerald Durrell and uh, Gavin Maxwell probably so Gerald Durrell obviously we all know you know my family and Gavin Maxwell was he wrote Ring of Bright Water and uh, it's one of the greatest wildlife you know he had incredible empathy with the natural world and also he had a very colorful past as well so yeah, yeah. good character cool yes Brilliant. what's your favorite piece of dive equipment and kit what and why um yeah i mean good one um, nowadays it's my camera it's my camera there you go nice what sort what i've got a hoogie fort housing and uh that hoogie fort housing changed the way i take photographs it's so intuitive it's it's got the flood alarm which back in the day when i first got it was you know revolutionary and uh peace of mind and all that it's got one-handed operation so it's a big old i have a 5d inside it but it's yeah. just incredibly simple to yeah it's such yeah. a nice book kit what dive computer do you use um, I use um, Sunto. I use the Sunto, what's it called? Ian Steele? Uh, uh, yes, yes. Um, the reason I'm uh, slightly hesitant is um, because I upgraded for the last Galapagos trip, and I can't remember the name. 
Uh, I think it is the steel, yeah, the Eon yeah. steel. But as you can see, I've got some toe on at yeah. the moment. Um, I've used them for years and years. I love them. I think they're really yeah. intuitive, really easy to use, totally reliable. And you don't look an absolute imbecile wearing one normally. You know, they're I've not. I've got like water, but I've got, um, I've got this one as well. It's yeah. D4, so it was a nice yeah. one to use. Um, yeah. Okay, brilliant. And also, um, who would you like to see as a future guest for us? Um, do you know, it would be wonderful to have a very young person on. You know, yeah. and when I say very young, I don't mean someone who's like 25, you know, 23. To have someone who's 12, you know. Anyone um, mind? Yeah, um, there's, off the top of my head, I can't remember her name. But there's a girl I've often chatted to at the dive shows who's uh, amazing. And uh, I think she's about 12, 13 years old. And uh, she's um, blazing a bit of a trail online about the next okay. generation of divers. And you know, the fact she's a young woman as well is a wonderful thing. You know, uh, I, I know that diving a lot less now, a lot less is, but diving used to be a male bastion. And it's so nice yeah. to see all these young women coming through now. I just yeah. think it'd be really interesting to get someone who's really young to say, okay. what's your position? And what do you think of all these old geezers, you know, and yeah. all that? Yeah. Where's it all going, and what's important to you? And I think that'd be really interesting. Well, perhaps we'll yeah. catch catch her name off you after you know after this. But then yeah, we'll, yeah, I'll try and remember. I'll, I'll have a look back. I've, I've exchanged a couple of emails with her in the past, so I'll have a look right. back. Ask me a couple of questions. So. Okay. And lastly, um, so it, again, we ask this of everybody. So if you could put something on a billboard, um, non-commercial, whether it's a statement, image, a question, or a quote anything to get the message out there to the millions and billions of people what would you put on the billboard oh blimey that's a good one that's a good one well i do i like my sayings and my expressions you know about uh i don't know at the moment uh, does it have to relate to diving or is it just no, anything if you, there's a message you want to get out to the to the world the big world what yeah. would you put on it and why uh okay well there's a great expression that says we with what's happening to us at the moment you know uh it says you can't control the wind but you can adjust your sails so basically we can't control what's happening to us at the moment but what we can do is adjust the way we behave and the way we deal with it and all that so you can't control the wind but you can adjust your sails so, like <laughs> um, so i think he's on a card right here. yeah look here you go. it was actually a card that um yeah from isla and molly for my birthday oh. There we go. It's on that card, though. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so, great. We had a message from Dan as well. Dan and, and Simon Rogerson as well. Yeah. Oh, so, lovely. We go, so we'll go oh, through them perhaps another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, two, um, two legends. Dan Stevenson did the greatest single dive I have ever heard anyone of anyone doing. Uh, he did a sealer camp dive. You should chat to Dan. He'd be an interesting guy to chat to. Um, yeah. It's the single greatest, most audacious, incredible, brave, extraordinary dive I've ever heard of anyone doing. And um, he's the most unassuming bloke. But actually, that dive, it was 110 meters to go and see a sealer camp off the coast of South Africa. That was a dive, dive and a half. So uh, there you go. Have a chat with Dan. Do you have any questions for us? No, no, no. I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much for, for having me on and good luck with it all. 
Thank you very much. Thank you so right. much for your time. It's been lovely to meet you. No problem. You too. You too. Good Thank luck with it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Cheers, chaps. Good rest of your weekend. Thank you. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Right, that was episode 15 with Monty Halls. It was. Hope you enjoyed that. It was good, wasn't it? Really good. He's, yeah, a really nice guy. Thank you to Monty for giving us his time. Yep, friends of the podcast. All right. Uh, so that's it for me. We'll see you on the next one. There's somebody coming up. Uh, we've got some more guests coming up. would be really good. Uh, who we've got uh, lined up. Yep, all recorded. We've got Ready somebody go. from the Galapagos as well. Uh, oh, did I say that out loud? little heads up there for you but coming in a few weeks time all right so watch out for that one so goodbye for me bye for me and, and goodbye from scuba honey bye <laughs>